Well, I believe, Stephen, are you the... Are you the reader here? I'm going to call on Stephen Lopez to come up and read our scripture today. As he's coming up, I will uh, let you know, I'll put this a little bit in context. So last week we began this series on Star Wars. If, if you didn't know that, you probably have figured it out uh, by this point. And so we talked about hope last week, and our scripture came from the very beginning of Jesus' life as he represented that new hope. And of course, Jesus had a ministry uh, that was filled with hope and filled with uh, incredible highs. And then, then in the time that we call Holy Week, when he moves to Jerusalem, at this sort of pinnacle of hope for him, where his disciples are, are asking him, who's going to be your lieutenants in the kingdom of God? He is betrayed uh, by Judas, one of his closest disciples. And this is that story, and it comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. Thank you. Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of a man with a kiss? Of man with a kiss. When, Ju- when Jesus' followers said, saw what, was, uh, saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the highest priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. The G- then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. I am I leading a rebellion? Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> this is the word. <laughs> I am very glad you do this, Stephen, because I don't like reading in front of people, so I ask our youth to do it. Um, <laughs> well, okay, uh, we could talk about something else for you to do. <laughs> okay, uh, before I begin, there are jokes that I usually make, and let's just say that they're at this level. I want you to lower your expectations uh, based on the first service's uh, response to these jokes, of which I believe Heath gave me the solitary laughs. Um, so, well, as you guys know, last week we started talking about a new hope, and I told you there were some deleted scenes that no one saw that um, that uh, that were in there. And it turns out, believe it or not, there were some secret deleted scenes in Empire Strikes Back. Now, just so I know where we're at, how many of you have seen Empire Strikes Back? Okay, we've got John, no, never seen Star Wars? Okay, I, uh, we had some folks in the first service that did, and I was like, I am sorry. Uh, you're just like, these guys are dressed up as buffoons and uh, talking about things that I don't know about. Uh, well, you know, it's a good movie. Uh, but, uh, so there's a deleted scene, and there, for those of you that don't know, there is a Jedi master whose name is Yoda. You saw a little baby-looking Yoda uh, with the green, uh, green um, ears that uh, was up here. 
Um, but uh, there was this deleted scene where uh, Yoda actually gets taken to court. Can you believe that? Yoda gets taken for court. And um, they say, Yoda, what's your full name? And of course, we just know him as Yoda, and you know, Master is not a name. So it was kind of curious, what is his full name? And it turns out that his last name is Lahehi. Lahihu. Uh, no, uh, okay. I didn't even say it right, Jennifer. It was a low-hanging fruit, so my bad. Um, but there was a disposition for him because he was in court, and he actually—he's good at the force, but he is bad at financial management. Actually, he act, was in debt. Now you may not know this—that Star Wars currency is known as EIE. Um, and so he owed a huge amount of debt uh, to old McDonald. And so he said, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Slow coming train wreck. That's what I just, just build it like that if I can. Um, and his plan to pay it off was actually kind of ahead of its time. He wanted to do a reality TV show with Luke training. He was going to call it X-Wing Factor. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, that's the end of the jokes. All right, now we're going to get to the serious stuff here. Um, <laughs> um, X uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. It's a strange movie in many ways, friends, because as we talked about last week, A New Hope, what was formerly just known as Star Wars, is a heroic journey movie similar to many other heroic journeys that have been told in mythology and stories around campfires for uh, thousands of years. A story of an unlikely hero who conquers evil. And in some ways, Star Wars is a completely contained movie. There's a victory, and then at the very end, there's a metal scene where the heroes are given medals, and, and it could have ended with the words, you know, they lived happily ever after. True, true, he deserved a medal. All right, litigating that. Uh, so, but the beginning of Empire reminds you that things are a bit more complicated than that. So in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, they are in a, on a frozen wasteland a planet called Hoth. It's a, just an icy planet. And Han Solo, who had at the end of the last movie become a hero and, and said he's not all in it for the money, has to go pay off Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous when you say this stuff out loud. Uh, but has to go pay off Jabba the Hutt with that money. So even heroes have to sort of do the unfinished things in their to-do list. Luke Skywalker has learned about the Force, but he's captured by a, an ice monster, and he's not even very effective at the Force yet. He's not a Jedi. So he's not what he needs to be. Luke, or Han is trying to get Leia to admit that she's in love with him, and she won't even admit it. You know, just life is a little hard after the big victory. 
And then, on top of all of that, the empire is far from defeated. So we open with the imperial scenes with Darth Vader searching for the rebels, and, and they finally find them, and then they send at the big forces, and there's this big battle scene with these huge imperial walkers that move slowly for no reason and very inefficient attacking patterns. But they do it anyway. And you could be forgiven for wondering if the victory of Star Wars was a little hollow. If all the hope that we had talked about and built up all these possibilities. We talked last week about hope being able to see more pathways, more options, a bigger perspective, and that fear shrinks our perspective, and, and that hope expands it. And you could, you could be forgiven for seeing the opening parts of that story and going, where did we even get? Throughout the whole movie, in fact, the heroes are on the run. Reacting, barely surviving. It's almost as if you might wonder, you know, what is the value in hope at all? What was the value of all of that stuff? What was, what, what was all that when the reality hits, sinks in? You probably have some idea what that's about. Have you ever had something in your life where you have built yourself up for hope only to, to find that hope dashed? Where you have thought that, that something was, that you were going to do something, that you psyched yourself up for some big change, some big thing about your life that was going to be different or a way that we would all be different and you thought maybe this time things would be a little different only to have it sort of crash back down to reality. You find out the empire is still strong. There's still a struggle. Hope on the onset is very different than hope in the struggle. There's a show called Ted Lasso on Apple TV, and it's about um, a, an American football coach that goes and coaches a European football team, soccer team. And they have a phrase for the team there. They say, it's the hope that kills you. It's this idea if you're a fan of a losing sports team, and you just constantly get your hopes up only to have them dashed. Have, are any of you like diehards for a losing sports team or a team that has gone through losing things? Anyone willing to admit that they are? Yeah, okay, we've got a few of you. Cowboys <laughs> Throwing shade in the service. Uh, but, you know, it's hard, right? To get yourself psyched up. They'll have a great regular season and then they'll get into the playoffs and lose in the first round to a team they weren't supposed to lose to if you're a basketball fan, that kind of thing will happen. All sorts of stuff will happen. And, and, and sometimes you might, have you ever felt like maybe you're kind of a losing team? Have you ever had that feeling where you just kind of feel like I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way that, that I want it to work out? 
or I think we're going to make the Super Bowl, I'm going to make the Super Bowl, and I just keep on like losing, you know, not, not great, not bad, just kind of hitting that place. And, and, and it can be demoralizing, right, to have this hope and then have that kind of dash over and over again for expectations not to be met. And you might wonder, when is this ever going to, when, when are we going to defeat this empire? It seems to just be always present again and again. Just always coming back. And then you might just stop hoping. Because it's a little easier to just not hope than to have your hopes dashed. We know this is somewhat true. You look at surveys and about optimism, for example. Young people are more optimistic than older people, except for like a lot older people, and they get more optimistic again. There's kind of an optimism curve. But you know why. When you're young, there's a lot of pathways. We talked about hope being a lot of seeing a lot of options, a lot of paths forward. And, and when you're young, you can imagine a lot of ways. So even if, some, if there's a roadblock, you say, well, I've got time to figure out another way around it. I don't have to be there yet. I can still do these things. And then sometime in your 30s or your 40s or some point, you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I'm about to die. I don't have any more time. And all of a sudden, hope just like... From you. And it becomes hard. Hope in the struggle is a different beast than hope when you've just, you know, got everything, you know? When you're, you're about to do a climb up a mountain or something like that, you look at the top and you're like, it's not so bad to get up there. And then halfway through, you're like, oh my gosh. This is a struggle. The empire is not yet defeated. Of course, we see this in the Gospels. The Gospels go through this period of, of incredible hope when people are discovering that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and even though he is struggling against people, there are people arriving against him, he's never really ever caught on the wrong foot. He's, he's always the one who has got the thing to say, the right turn of phrase, or is healing, or is casting out demons. And, and so he is kind of marching through Galilee and gets down to Jerusalem, and his disciples are, like I said, debating about who is going to be the great person in the kingdom of God. And then his closest disciples betray him or abandon. Jesus talks about that moment in the garden right before this where he describes himself as sick with grief. And the word means this kind of deep heart sickness, down sickness, heart sickness that you, they describe as almost being in the stomach. You ever have that kind of heart-wrenching fear or sadness? That's what Jesus is gripped in. When all of what you've hoped, you also realize what is arrayed against you.
And so if you're caught in this kind of thing, what starts to happen is that hope, that expansion of hope that you had starts to shrink again in fear and regret and guilt and shame and all of those things that cause us to not be able to see outside what we can see start to shrink, start to pull us inward and we begin to focus just on those things. We begin to not be able to see beyond them. The empire is all that we can see, whatever is Gripping our hearts is all that we can feel, and it seems like all hope is lost. And in some ways, this is harder than the outset. Mental health people will talk to you. In pastoral care, we learn that the hardest and most dangerous time for people is not on the outset or even at the supposed rock bottom, but it's after they begin to hope, after they've began to improve, and something happens that knocks them back down. That hope dashed that really creates despair. So this is a movie that sort of sits in that place of what does it look like after victory, so to speak, or after a hope-filled victory. When the things that you hope to vanquish are still there. You know, you've moved to another city, but you're still there. It's, It's a problem. What does that look like when you've woke up and you're already tired and you've got to go do it again at work or you've got to go do it again in some other place and it just feels like this kind of perpetual empire that you're facing? How do you have hope then? Well, in the story itself, that hope begins to expand when Luke goes again, it sounds ridiculous when you're talking about this, a planet called Dagobah, why, you know, why not, and meets the great Jedi Master Yoda. And Yoda is not what he is expecting, and that's part of it. Yoda actually plays up that he is not what you would expect, and, and he's this, this little guy, he makes a lot of corny jokes, he speaks backwards, there's all sorts of things about him, and and what he seems to be doing mostly is trying to get Luke to re-expand his vision, to see the bigger world. Luke is there to just kind of check off Jedi training on his list. He just wants to find the great warrior, become a Jedi warrior, and go help people, defeat the evil empire. He doesn't really understand what he's up against. He doesn't really understand the kind of thing that it takes to be victorious in this fight. He's underestimating the fight. And so, so when he comes, Yoda tries to sort of help him see this bigger picture. And so he tells him, for example, that he has to unlearn everything that he's learned. He has to expand his vision. There's one scene where Luke is trying to lift his X-wing using the Force, which is basically telekinesis power. He's trying to lift his X-wing out of a, a swamp, and he can't do it, and he says, it's impossible. He can't see that bigger vision, and then little Yoda doesn't, showing him that what he thinks is impossible might be possible. It's kind of refinding hope. 
But Luke really doesn't buy it, to be honest. He goes through it, but in the end, he relapses into fear and goes to confront Darth Vader before he's really ready to confront Darth Vader, and before he's really powerful enough or understands what he's really allied against. He's had this vision on the planet where he, he's, he kind of has this vision with Vader and sees that it's himself, and so you can understand that there's this deeper, darker confrontation there, but he isn't quite ready, he isn't quite doing it, and then he goes off to... Cloud City to save his friends who have been captured by betrayal to Darth Vader. And in the perhaps climactic scene of the movie, Darth Vader and him are having a duel. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> and Darth Vader re reveals that he is Luke's and what does this tell you, besides just being an interesting plot point? One of the things that it tells you is that this conflict is far beyond just a small little thing. He just doesn't have to defeat this person. That fighting Darth Vader is going to be fighting, in a lot of ways, his own self. And Darth Vader is there trying to turn him. He's not trying to really defeat him. He's trying to make him lose all hope so that he will join this kind of hopeless cabal that they call the dark side and only wants to kind of live through power. And shows them that it's a much bigger thing than they might realize to have hope in this struggle. You're going to have to, in some ways, defeat something far more fundamental than you might believe. I wonder if you've ever had that kind of thought. If you've ever looked at yourself in the mirror and realized if I want to be what I want to be, a lot is going to have to change. You ever thought that? It's kind of gone, oh. And sometimes I, I think because we don't believe we can do that fundamentally, even if we think we do, we don't really. And, and so we kind of monitor our expectations. We, we, if someone says, gosh, let's be holy people, people of God, we kind of say, well, let's you know, be better people than the people around us. You know, it's kind of that bear mentality. Like, you don't have to be faster. You just have to be faster than someone next to you if you're running away from a bear. It's just that kind of idea. But if you've ever looked at that, I, I had a, another pastor who lost about uh, 100 pounds. I'm always, as you guys know, I'm always perpetually fighting that battle with myself. And... And so I asked him, how did you do this? And he said, it had to be the most important thing in my life. Meaning I had to get up every day and think about it. Every meal I had to think about it. I had to make decisions on my job based on if it was going to put me in places where I was going to not eat this way. He had to make it the number one priority in his life. And, and I thought to myself, gosh, am I willing to do that kind of thing? Could I make that a, a number one priority? But that's really what it takes, I think, for to beat someone who has had long-term food addiction or long-term uh, weight issues or however you want to put it. There's lots of ways of thinking about it. But if you want to do a fundamental change of something that has been a part of you for a long time and you think it's going to be easy, well, then you know you're lying to yourself. You know, the empire is real. 
We don't skip our way into the kingdom of God. And I think that's sometimes one of our issues in the church, quite frankly. Because for a long time, churches, particularly in this part of the country, were, we were like, okay about making you feel really guilty and really bad. Like, we did that really well. And we talked about sin and how far you are from God and how much change you need. And, and we probably overdid that. Probably didn't have the grace. But in some ways, we've compensated a lot, and now we don't really talk about how deep of a change it really is to become God's people and new birth and value shift and all of these things that has to happen. And, and, and so we forget, and that you might even be forgiven for wondering if Christianity is just to kind of make us a little bit better, to tweak our life a little bit way, make us feel a little bit happier about ourselves or make us a little bit more better productive citizens or have our children be a little bit happier, a little bit more foundational, if that's what this is about, then you could be forgiven for wondering why on earth, for example, Jesus Christ would have had to have been betrayed and would have had to have died, would have had to have nails run through his hands, would have had to have felt all of that deep pain down to his belly and down to his gut. You may have wondered why there was any point to any of that struggle. Or why there's any point to struggle in your life. But we know as people of God that there is a lot that needs to happen. Sin is real. The ways that we convince ourselves that our life is about things that it's not really about. The way we pursue status, money, all sorts of things, where we don't make love the primary part of our life, or where we say we do, but we don't really think about what that actually means. I mean, really, it's very easy to, to look at the mountaintop and say, I'm going to forgive people, but actually climbing that mountain and forgiving people, not so easy. We can say, I'm, I'm going to relinquish shame in my life, but actually climbing that mountain, fighting that empire, doing that battle against that thing to say that I believe in the victory of Jesus Christ over the shame that has surrounded my heart for 20, 30, 40, 50 years is no small task. And then we begin to understand what it is that Jesus fought on that cross and what it is to struggle and have hope in that struggle. And we begin to see that hope with struggle, that struggle refines that hope. And that when we hold on to that through the struggle, well, that refined hope, that's what we call faith. When sometimes we can't even see the way through, but we hold on to the victory of Jesus Christ who has walked this path of struggle before us, who has been in those dark places, who has felt the full force of the empire drive his body to death, and yet remained faithful. The faith of Christ showing us 
how to walk through this struggle. My guess is there are some of you in this room that are feeling the full weight of the empire at this moment. Something in your life just can't seem, you just can't seem to get around it. Maybe it's not an all bad thing. Maybe there's great things about it. You just can't seem to see your way through whatever it is. And maybe you're not even sure you can name it. But you are struggling to hold on to hope. Fear, shame, and guilt are shrinking your vision. And so we're here. As people of God united at the foot of the cross. That symbol that in the darkest of dark, faith still guides us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.